I'm about to read to us from Acts, but the context of it is that this is the beginning of Luke's second book as he is, uh, his encounter, his uh, description of what happened between him and Jesus and the disciples and the story of what went on. And so we're right at the beginning of Acts, which is Luke's second book. So Jesus has already been resurrected. He's already come back to life and he's been appearing uh, to the apostles. And this is where Acts picks up the story. So we're going to start literally Acts chapter one, verse one. Uh, Do turn to it on your phone if you would like to. And it says this, uh, Acts chapter one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the dates or times the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. After he'd said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, would you come... Now, as we, as we explore what you have to say, would you speak to our hearts, Jesus? Would you be amongst us as we hear from your word now, Jesus? Amen. So Jesus has been resurrected. He's come back to life and he spent 40 days appearing to the apostles. And he's been continuing to try and unpack and explain things to them to show them and to kind of reassure them over and over again that he is alive and that he's also there in his like physicality. He's there in his body. And he's been speaking to them, it says in the scripture, about the kingdom of God. And then on this one occasion, they're eating together as they often did. And Jesus asks them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to baptize them. And then he's taken into the sky and a cloud comes over and hides him from sight. And they're just left there, stunned, staring at the sky. And it says that two angels appear to them and they sort of gently rebuke them. They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? And I wonder if you can relate to that feeling of standing there, staring at the sky being left wondering what on earth has just happened to you. You know, maybe after the the death or the loss of a a loved one, 
or someone leaving. I remember feeling that feeling really well when uh, my mum and dad left me for the first time in my halls at university. And I was just sitting there on my bed in my room thinking, oh, what now? It's that moment of everything has just changed. Everything that I knew before has been flipped on its head and I'm just left staring at the sky. I have to say, though, to give my mum her credit, she got, she got me the best cupboard in the kitchen before she left. As you can imagine. And you can imagine that's how the apostles were feeling, can't you? After everything that they'd been through with Jesus. You know, they'd followed him. He had called them. They'd seen him do incredible miracles. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him bring people back from the dead. And then they'd seen him go on trial. And they'd seen him suffer. And they'd seen him die. And then they'd seen him come back to life and appear to them. And then he's there again. And he's chatting with them and he's teaching them. And he's having meals with them. And then he appears, disappears up into the sky. You know, then angels come and say to them, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So what the heck's going on? No wonder they were left standing there staring at the sky. So I wanted to take a few moments to think about, firstly, what is happening here? What's happening at the ascension? What's going on in this incredible spiritual and yet physical moment in scripture? And then what are we supposed to do about it? What's our challenge? In this amazing moment at the ascension, there's something incredible happening where heaven and earth is meeting, is intermingling. They're intermingling with each other. And something that's really helpful for us to understand here is that the the Jewish understanding of heaven and earth and their relationship to one another and their interactions is different from the Greek thought, which was also popular at the time and maybe is something that we, that is sort of in our culture too, that came through originally through Plato. Greek thought tends to split up really severely the soul and the body. And we end up sort of with this idea of, of a soul, like a, a, the soul inside being the true person. And that this soul really is desperate to escape this wretched body. You know, kind of our idea of what salvation looks like, if we don't think too hard about it, is that our soul is escaping off outside of this body at last into a better place. That's the kind of Greek thought. And by that definition, what salvation looks like, what being saved looks like, is us getting up out of this world, escaping these bodies and heading off into a higher realm. But, but Jewish people didn't think that way. In ancient Israel, heaven is the realm of God and the angels and earth is the realm where the humans and the plants and the animals live. But they're not these like radically separate places that never interact with each other. They're places which mingle with each other. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
It comes out of that Jewish sensibility. You know, we're not waiting for our souls to escape the earth. We're waiting for the coming together of heaven and earth. When we pray that prayer, we're praying to Jesus, may you reign here as you reign in heaven. And so that's why what we see happening at the ascension is so important. We're seeing an incredible moment of heaven and earth interacting with each other. Jesus doesn't become this disembodied soul that whooshes off into the sky. In this moment, the the earthly, bodily, human Jesus ascends up into heaven and something of heaven comes down, you know, angelic beings come down. It's this incredible meeting and intermingling of heaven and earth. And so in that moment, what's happening with Jesus's ministry? And I'm sure the apostles in that moment felt like yet again, they'd lost Jesus. That they'd had him again for a moment after his resurrection. That they'd been able again to to meet with him, to eat with him, to hear from him, to, to touch his body and to know that he was present with them again. So I'm sure at this moment, they all of a sudden felt like again, they were losing him. They thought it was going to be the absence of his presence. And so it's understandable, isn't it? You know, that story where Mary Mary Magdalene, she sees the risen Jesus and she wants to, to hold on to him. But what does Jesus say to her? He says, don't hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Jesus encouraged Mary in that moment, don't hold on to me. I'm about to ascend to the Father. Don't hold on to my physicality. I'm about to go to heaven. Let's think about this ascending for a moment. I'm going to be topical. In Buckingham Palace, there is a literal throne, isn't there? A literal throne in a throne room. You can go and see it. Who's been on a tour around Buckingham Palace? I'm right, there's a throne room, right? Okay, good. Uh, And I'm sure when you did the tour, if you were to do the tour around Buckingham Palace, you wouldn't be allowed to do this. But aside from all of the security risks, if you were able to, you could ascend the throne. You could go and sit on the throne and sit there. You could walk up to the steps ascend up them and sit down on the queen's throne. But imagine that you did that, forgetting the fact that you would immediately be removed. Spatially, you have ascended the throne, haven't you? But that ascension, that ascension itself, doesn't make you the king or the queen. It's spatial language that's being used to describe something much deeper that's going on. Because we know, don't we really, that to ascend the throne, it means that you change your relationship with the whole nation. And that's what's going on here with Jesus's ascension. You know, Jesus physically ascends up to heaven. And in that moment, it's not that he's gone off to go and live somewhere else and do a different thing. It's that now he sits at the right hand of the Father and his relationship with creation has changed. 
So when Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, don't hold on to me, what he was really saying was, you know, soon I'm going to ascend so that you can never lose me again. No one can take me from you. And he was saying to the apostles, I'm going to the Father. And if you wait for the Holy Spirit to come, I will always be with you. You know, I'm no longer this person who is just in time and space, like I've chosen to be for that short time, only accessible to a few people at a time. But now when Jesus ascends, now Jesus becomes available by the Holy Spirit. He's saying what I am now, what I was on earth, is about to be released explosively throughout the world. And that's why the ascension is actually a super important part of scripture. You know, if you go to a card shop, you can find an Easter card, but you can't find an ascension card, I don't think. Maybe if you went to the Christian bookshop. Um, but, but ascension is a really important thing that we ought to mark and think about because it's the moment where Jesus takes his ministry from mingling within a few people, within a small group of people who he has chosen in a particular time, in a particular place, in a particular moment, and explodes it out that all of us now, 2,000 years later, might also be people who know the risen Jesus as he sits on the right hand of the Father. What an incredible thing to think about. So in the context of this promise, that it's the same Jesus who ascended into heaven, who we have relationship with today, who we worship today, who we pray to today, there are a few things that we, well, two things that we're commanded to do. There are two things in this passage that Jesus commanded his apostles, his disciples to do. The first one is to wait, and the second one is to witness. Jesus told his disciples not to leave Jerusalem. He asked them to wait for the gift that had been promised to them. It's this incredible truth that the ascension, it's not the lessening of the presence of Christ, but it's the magnification of it across the whole world. You know, it's Pentecost next week, in case you didn't know. And Pentecost is where we celebrate and remember the birth of the church as the Holy Spirit came and filled the people. But we don't need to wait until Pentecost to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here in the room with us right now. And I wanted to remember together in this next couple of minutes what the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is to us. And it's important for us to remember that when Jesus commands us, when Jesus commanded the apostles and, and commands us now to be people who wait on the Holy Spirit, what he's not doing is asking us to wait on the warm fuzzies, you know? When we wait on the Holy Spirit, yes, it's often emotional. When we wait on the Holy Spirit, yes, things change in our emotions. But the power of waiting on the Spirit is not waiting for God to come and give us that warm, good feeling that he's with us. We wait on the Holy Spirit because he is the one who introduces us to the risen Jesus and the one who empowers us to witness to him. 
not by some mystic power, but because when we've met Jesus, when the Holy Spirit has introduced us to the risen Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, how could we not witness about him? You know, why is it that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, often we are, we've, we're healed, we seek healing? It's because Jesus had a healing ministry on earth. Why is it that when we're filled with the Spirit, sometimes we're given words of knowledge to encourage one another with? Well, it's because that's what Jesus did when he was on earth. He moved about and he encouraged people and he used the knowledge that God had given him to encourage people. You know, why is it that sometimes when we're praying for people in the power of the Spirit, we're given a weird picture to help to translate what it is that God is saying? Well, it's because that's how Jesus spoke to people often. He would use pictures and analogies to try and explain things to people. Why is it that when we meet with the Holy Spirit, miracles happen? Well, it's because Jesus did that. The Holy Spirit isn't the magician of the Trinity. He's the one who introduces us to the risen, glorified, ascended Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father. And that's why I always find it incredible when you hear people give testimony about um, coming to know Jesus through, through the Alpha course. Uh, if you don't know, the Alpha course is an incredible opportunity to gather together and to explore the Christian faith uh, together. And often when people give testimony about how they found the Alpha course, they'll say, I had a really great time, I really enjoyed it, lots of knowledge about Jesus came from it, but it was when we talked about the Holy Spirit or it was when we went to the Holy Spirit away day and when I met with the Holy Spirit that everything changed. And sometimes the cynical part of me thinks, oh, well, that's just because they put on a great Holy Spirit day or because, uh, you know, they got really excited or there was lots of people in the room or it was really, no, that's not what's happening. What's happening there is the Holy Spirit is taking all of that knowledge that people have been figuring out throughout Alpha and he's introducing people to the risen Jesus. He's saying, you know all that stuff about Jesus, let me introduce you to him. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit moves, he fills us, and he introduces us or reintroduces us again and again to the risen Jesus, to who Jesus is, to the Jesus who heals us, to the Jesus who teaches us and continues to teach us, to the Jesus who does miracles amongst us, who heals us and who grows us and who changes us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's why we wait on him to come and fill us. So Jesus commands the apostles to wait. And then he commands them to witness. He asks them to go and tell the world about what they have seen. He asks them to go and tell people all about what's gone on. And he asks the same of us now in the power of the Spirit. We wait on him. We wait on him. He fills us. He introduces us or reintroduces us to Jesus. We meet this incredible God and we cannot help ourselves but share with those around us, share with the people we know what it is that Jesus has done, who it is that Jesus is, that we have met him in person, that he is alive, that he's real, that he's amongst us. 
the Jesus we know is now available to all people at all times because the risen Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that, to help us to reveal Jesus to other people. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Amen.